traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Protests in Hong Kong began as a movement against an extradition bill, which would have allowed criminal suspects in Hong Kong to be handed over for trial in mainland China. But the demonstrations have evolved into a popular revolt against the local government, and for many involved, against rule from Beijing itself. This week, largely peaceful marches have yielded to increasing violence. A petrol bomb was thrown at a police station. Protesters have beaten individuals suspected of being government agents. Since August the 5th, police have used more tear gas and rubber bullets than in the previous two months put together. Demands now include the complete withdrawal of the extradition bill and an independent inquiry. Activists are also calling for full voting democracy in the territory, something China has long made clear won't be allowed. Carrie Lam, the embattled chief executive, argues that the protests have gone beyond legitimate free assembly. She says they're pushing the territory into a dangerous abyss. Without law and order in Hong Kong, it is extremely difficult to ensure that 7 million people in Hong Kong could continue to live in a peaceful manner. Meanwhile, Chinese authorities have mounted large rehearsals of police deployment near the border. You're listening to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy, and this week we're asking, who will decide the fate of Hong Kong? My guest today is Anne Sun Chan. She served as Chief Secretary of the Territory, the second most senior government post, from 1993 to 2001. That means she worked in both the British colonial administration of Hong Kong and she kept her role after the transfer of power to China in 1997. She's been called the Iron Butterfly for her mix of diplomacy and strength. In June, she called on Carrie Lam to withdraw the extradition law and for an amnesty for protesters and police to defuse tensions. We'll be hearing from her later on. But first, our man in Hong Kong, Dominic Ziegler, our Banyan columnist covering Asia. He's been following the uprising since it started and joins me on the line now. Dom, you've been out and about all week covering the protests. How would you say the mood is as we move to the back end of what's been a dramatic week in Hong Kong? Well, it's the nature of this story to be spending quite a lot of time on the streets. And in the past week and a bit, things have evolved and indeed they've escalated. That's to say there's been more violence on the streets, but of a different kind. First of all, over last weekend, these kind of hit-and-run flash mob-style protests from uh, pro-democracy activists. And then, of course, the occupation of the airport, which then led two days in a row to the airport's closure. There were scenes of ugly violence as people were picked out and accused of being mainland agents. There was a sense that, uh, that lynchings weren't far away. 
So that was the mood in the middle of the week. Things have been more peaceable now. And indeed, it's a very striking feature of these past 10 weeks protests that for most of the time, in most parts of Hong Kong, things go on pretty much as normal. And then, usually at the weekends, things escalate again. And what we're expecting this Sunday is another protest. It doesn't have permission yet to move out of the main downtown park, Victoria Park. But it'll be important because it'll be a test of whether there is still more general, more widespread support for a movement that has become increasingly violent. Tell me a bit about the way that demands have shifted, if they have. I've seen lots of images of posters criticising the police. So in some ways, the demonstration seems to have turned into anger about the handling of the demonstrations, as well as, or perhaps even more than the original reasons behind it. How do you judge that, talking to people as you, as you go around? Yes, you're absolutely right, Anne. The, the, the mood has turned against the police. I mean, the demands that were being made for the chief executive to step down, some of those have shifted, some haven't. The complete withdrawal of the extradition bill, that's still there. Uh, there's still a strong sense that um, the ultimate aim is full democracy, that the, the kind of uh, universal suffrage that China has so far uh, denied. The whole mood is is more polarised. The police are the target. The protesters are out to see anything the police do as a provocation. Uh, and of course, the feeling is, is mutual. I think to a, a certain extent, and protesters will disagree vehemently with me, this is unjustified. The police on the whole are trying to do the best of a, of a very difficult uh, job. The problem is not the police. The problem is the complete lack of leadership from Carrie Lam's administration. Carrie Lam's press conference this week was extraordinary in that it showed how incapable she was of even answering a, a, a simple question. We are still capable of resolving this crisis. Do so you have the autonomy or not the to second, withdraw the, the extradition point, bill, the please? Point I want to make Could you answer that specific question? In response to the various demands that we have heard, we have considered all factors and came up with a response that we have rehearsed time and again over the last two months. Thank you very Do much. Do you have the autonomy or not to withdraw the extradition she bill? Has your question, you, you have not answered the question. You've she evaded the question. Please, Chief Executive. The question of whether it's in, in her power or not to withdraw the bill is less relevant than the fact that it shows that she is really not in charge, that she's not leading uh, her administration, that there is no government in Hong Kong. And every step, every material step from now on to be taken by Beijing, that's not a situation that either Hong Kong or Beijing wants to be in, but that seems to be the case. It's always an invidious question to ask a correspondent in the middle of a fast-moving story how this ends. But do you feel that this is now a story that is beginning to play out? Each side is retreating a, a bit from the flashpoints. Or do you think we may now see another phase of protests and perhaps an escalation of response? The protests in the last few weeks have kind of waxed and waned and changed their form. I think, though, that they have the potential to carry on for 
really quite a long time. Yes, with ebbs and flows, possibly with fewer sort of set-piece marches that then turn into violence, more hit-and-run, flash-mob-style approaches by protesters and a game of cat and mouse with the police. But it could go on forever. Some people hope that uh, things will calm down when the academic year starts in September. But uh, a majority of students, both high school and university students, say no, they're going to stay out on the streets and they're going to, they're going to keep uh, protesting. The key, crucial, critical question is what China does. Some people think that October the 1st is going to prove a key date because that's the 70th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China. And President Xi Jinping will want to see calm and prosperity reigning across uh, his empire. Some people think that an intervention from China is more likely if there's still turmoil as that anniversary approaches. My feeling is that probably Beijing can uh, deal with a restless Hong Kong so long as the rest of China is stable and well-behaved, as it were. So I don't think that China is going to intervene lightly. I don't think it is probable, but the risks of such an intervention have certainly risen in the past few weeks. Dominic Ziegler, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Anne. Well, Anne San Chan, former Chief Secretary of Hong Kong, also joined me on the line to assess the situation. I started by asking Mrs Chan why she thought Carrie Lam hadn't responded to the demand to withdraw the provocative legislation. I don't really know. Uh, the speculation is that Beijing has refused to allow her to formally withdraw the uh, extradition bill. I find that actually a little difficult to believe. Uh, I wonder whether it isn't because, even up till now, the chief executive still feels that the original motive behind the extradition bill uh, was a good one. She acknowledges that they made a mess of selling it to the public and explaining it to the public, and also blaming it on the fact that there were people behind the scene who were muddying the uh, waters. And so she finds it very difficult now to publicly declare that she withdraws the bill, because that would send a clear message that the original motive was wrong. So in that case, what is the way forward specifically on the fate of this bill, which has sparked so much protest? Is it that it needs to be withdrawn or is a suspension a possible way out of this where everyone saves face and it at least comes some way to meeting the protesters' desires? Uh, well, there's a, there's a difference in the minds of the community at large here between withdrawal and suspension. Withdrawal means that uh, the bill is off the table, and the next time the government wants to put forward something similar, you have to start the legislative process all over again. Now, suspension simply means that it is held in abeyance. As and when the government wants to revive these extradition proposals, because it is still on the table, you can easily just resume the second reading of the bill in the Legislative Council. The problem is that at the moment, nobody believes what the chief executive is saying. So she can claim that the bill is effectively dead. 
but in the eyes of the community, the only sure way of ensuring that it is dead is for you to formally withdraw the bill. I don't know why it's so difficult for her to say this. Now, of course, withdrawing the bill is only one of the five public demands that have been on the table for several months now. And as long as the government refuses to engage and to discuss some of these proposals, then I'm afraid there is no way out of the current impasse. Can I ask you, having been in the the governance of Hong Kong, both under the British administration up to 1997 and thereafter, after the handover to China, how important do you think this standoff is given the recent history of Hong Kong? I mean, can you calibrate it for us? I don't think we have faced a crisis of this proportion in the 22 years since the handover. And if nothing breaks and the government refuses to budge, then I'm afraid you are increasingly pushing the protesters to a point of no return with the threat of very dire consequences. Now, I think that no responsible, caring government should drive protesters, many of whom are young professionals, university graduates. They're not hooligans. They're well-educated. They're very, very, technically, they're actually very, very quick on their feet. Now, no responsible government should be drying, driving these protesters to a point of desperation. But can I just challenge you on that? Because some people watching it around the world on their television screens will have seen elements of the protesters throwing missiles, a petrol bomb has been held, they will have seen what many reasonable people would consider to be violence on the part of the protesters. What is your reaction to that? I acknowledge that, but what do you expect when after two million people take to the streets and you see uh, police brutality and nobody being charged uh, in that particular incident in Yunlong, in fact, Violence is escalating on the part of both the protesters and the police. The police find themselves in an extremely invidious position. They're involved and embroiled in a political wrangle, and you should not be placing your police force in that sort of situation. So what does it take to persuade the government that this mess is of the chief executive's own making? And she has to find a solution through this. What we need now is compassionate and (laughs) enlightened leadership. There is no leadership at the moment. Nobody condones violence. I certainly don't. And I agree. Some of the violence on the part of the protesters are not acceptable to the people. But far from, as it were, turning the public tide against the protesters, you can see for yourself that support for the protesters, notwithstanding the increasing violence, remains very, very strong. And the government needs to address this problem. You've recommended an amnesty for both protesters and the police. Given the events of this week, do you still think that's the appropriate way forward? Well, I can see that it is increasingly difficult. Both the SAR government and Beijing seem determined to punish those who were involved. But what alternative is there? If we're going to begin the process of reconciliation uh, in the community, you need to draw a line underneath some of these charges, particularly against the fact that you've been very, very quick uh, 
to charge protesters, but you have not charged the white thugs and the police condolence of these sort of thugs beating up innocent people in train stations and in train compartments. And the public quite rightly asks, why? Why this difference? But in that case, your amnesty seems to suggest a kind of equality between these two very different sets of, of actors. It's not, it's not so much equality. It, it, is, it is addressing both the concerns of the protesters and addressing the concerns of the police. The police intransigence towards the establishment of an independent commission of inquiry is simply that they feel such an inquiry would be pinning the blame on them. So if you're going to persuade the police to cooperate, then that something needs to happen. I'm not saying that an amnesty is necessarily the best solution, but the government has to put on its thinking cap and see what is the best way out of this current impasse. Overall, as, as we come to the end of, of what's been a very turbulent and dramatic, uh, worrying week in Hong Kong, do you think that we're closer to any form of serious intervention from Beijing, or are we moving away from that option? When people worry about the Tiananmen Square kind of outcome, do you feel that that, that they're worrying in the right direction or that they're overdoing it? Well, I sincerely hope uh, that uh, the uh, threats from uh, Beijing officials, the positioning of um, military people and tanks and whatnot across the border are simply uh, posturing. I think uh, any military intervention on the part of Beijing would be disastrous for Hong Kong and for China particularly for China's standing in the international community. Not to mention the ominous message that you are sending to Taiwan. So I sincerely hope that wiser counsel will prevail, that there will be cooler heads on the part of all those involved. But essentially, I come back to the point that I've made early. It is up to the SAR government, hopefully with the blessing of Beijing. That is the government in the territory itself for listeners outside. Yes, the SAR government with the blessing of Beijing to engage. If we look at Hong Kong's special status, and you obviously been involved in that handover in 1997 with the attempt to protect that. Do you think it is sustainable, given that we've seen a political tightening in Beijing? And indeed, if there are ominous messages to Taiwan and anywhere else, it may be that those ominous messages are deliberate and they are intended to send the message that over time, Hong Kong will be pushed to come closer into the Chinese system. Well, we're still hoping to persuade Beijing that they have nothing to fear by honouring their promises to the people of Hong Kong and giving Hong Kong people a high degree of autonomy and giving us the right to elect our own chief executive. Far from having anything to fear, I think it would be good for Hong Kong. It would certainly be good for China's standing as a whole. And I think the rest of the world should be paying some attention to what's happening in Hong Kong. Because if Beijing is allowed to walk all over one country, two systems, and not honour their promises to the people of Hong Kong, then the rest of the world, including Britain and the United States and other countries, should be asking themselves, can they actually continue to trust the word of China in their own international treaty obligations with this country? 
The rest of the world has a huge stake in Hong Kong. So you're not just talking about the well-being and welfare of the 7.3 million people who live here. You're actually talking about whether Hong Kong can continue to be a beacon of hope and a beacon for liberal democratic values, which hopefully one of these days will prevail in mainland China. And what do you think the significance of Hong Kong is to to China these days? In terms of the economy at the time of the handover, it was equivalent to nearly a a fifth of China's economy. Obviously, that figure is way down these days, about 3% because of the the relative growth of the Chinese economy. I I think it's totally misleading to keep referring to our share of the GDP contribution. Our contribution has never been purely in terms of the GDP per capita or GDP percentage. Our strengths lie in the fact that we remain the premier financial centre for mainland China. This is where they come to raise their capital. We are the super connector between mainland China and the rest of the world. And if one of these days the rest of the world hopes to see a more liberal, a more open and a more accountable government and a respect for human dignity, then you should all be encouraging Hong Kong and encouraging China to honour its promises about one a high degree of autonomy and Hong Kong people ruling Hong Kong. We're asking for no more than what was promised. And what do you believe that the correct American response is now if we take American as the, as the prime mover in the, in the rest of the world? Donald Trump's comments have faced both ways. He's, he's called the demonstrations riots and at the same time he has suggested that Hong Kong is complicating those trade talks and that trade row with Beijing. How, how is Donald Trump helping or hindering? Uh, It's a little difficult to predict what President Trump might or might not say from one day to the next. But I should point out that the United States has a special relationship with Hong Kong on the basis of the Hong Kong Policy Act. And that act was passed by Congress on the basis that we have a totally different system from that pertaining in mainland China. In terms of American interests in Hong Kong, in terms of their own strategic interests in Hong Kong, Again, they have a huge stake here. And if that special relationship is to be maintained, then in their own interests, if not in the interests of Hong Kong people, they need to hold China to their promises. Uh, Do you think this hoped-for scenario of the West bolstering Hong Kong's case and external pressures, if you like, on Beijing, do you think that is really moving minds in the Chinese leadership, or will they simply wait it out, as they did with the umbrella protests, wait for people to get tired, to get bored, and then continue the gradual tightening? Well, my feeling is that China cares about its international standard. It wants to be uh, respected as a fully-fledged member of the international community. And I think that being the case, it's up to the rest of the world, certainly liberal democracies everywhere, is to say to China that certain behavior is just not acceptable. And whatever Beijing may say in public, they do care about their international image. They care particularly about how they are regarded by the United States. Last thought from you as as a, a woman who's been very powerful in Hong Kong under two very different administrations of the territory, and and I think you're also back in the public eye very strongly at the moment. A lot of protesters 
women. We've seen Carrie Lam under pressure, but we are seeing a lot of women in this story in power. What particular role do you think women have played in Hong Kong in the last few years? What does it show? I think uh, women increasingly play plays uh, a very important role in the uh, social, economic and political fabric uh, of Hong Kong. I hope that that remains the case. I think Hong Kong is one of the uh, few places where, by and large, certainly if you're talking about the professionals, you see a great deal of equality, you see increasing diversity and an interest in pushing for gender equality. If we were just to look a few years to the future, do you believe this controversial extradition law will be in some form on the statute books? Or will the protesters have won that battle and kicked it into the even longer grass? Of course, we hope one of these days that the legal system in the mainland will have so improved that people can be assured of a fair trial, fair legal representation, and then, and only then, Will Hong Kong people be comfortable with a set of legislative proposals that enable extradition of fugitives in Hong Kong to be sent back to mainland China? And we must all hope that that happens sooner rather than later. And you see any chance of that happening in the next few years? I am convinced that there will be change within China. The change may not come as fast as some of us would like to see. But you cannot have a country the size of uh, China uh, where its own people increasingly see more of the world despite uh, censorship on social media. They still have access to uh, things that maybe Beijing would not like them to see. And if they are increasingly educated overseas and see more of what happens in liberal democracies everywhere, then they may not immediately ask for one man, one vote but they will want a more transparent and a more accountable government. And that would see my country moving in the right direction. And San Chan, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And we'd love to know what you think. How should the international community respond to these protests? And what should be done to uphold Hong Kong's special status? Write to us, radio at economist.com, or you can tweet us at Economist Radio. And please take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts. While you're with us, we'd love it if you subscribed. Then you could have all of our coverage. Just go to economist.com slash radio offer. 12 issues for £12 or $12. I'm Anne McElvoy. In Hong Kong and in London, this is The Economist. Traffic jams tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.